Donald Foreman, how are you doing, sir? Very good. Donald's here with us. He's the uh, director of a fantastic, lovely, beautiful-looking new Irish film called uh, Out of Here, although he is himself currently an expat, am I right? Uh, I've been living in New York for a few years now, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Well, tail in the accent, so for this, let's go all Dublin for this, because we're, we're trying to make this an Irish podcast, sir. I'll try. I don't want to hear anything about subways. <laughs> uh, right, uh, starting off straight away, this, uh, this film, which is about... Um, an Irishman on his travels, a college dropout who returns home and finds himself a bit at odds with uh, the place he left before. Let me just ask you, yeah, as an expat yourself, is this, first of all, it's very topical in current na- uh, state of the nation, but um, is it also autobiographical? Obvious question, I think. But um, I would say it's personal, but not exactly autobiographical. Uh, when I originally wrote the film, it was... When I was in film school, it was about seven years ago now. And at that point, I hadn't spent more than a few months outside of Ireland. Mm. So it was the idea of using this character returning after a year away was more. Um, I was more thinking of it just as a way of introducing you to kind of Dublin and Dublin youth culture Um which with the it, film does marvellously, I might add. That's oh, one of the thanks. things I definitely credit you to. But to do that with a character who was kind of a bit estranged from it, who could sort of introduce you to it, take you on a journey through the um, through the city. And uh, I had known people who had, had similar experiences and similar difficulties. But when it came to actually shooting it, I had lived in New York for a year and I was coming back from New York um, to prepare, rehearse, fundraise, and then shoot the film. So when I was coming back, I definitely drew on that experience yeah. and my own kind of perceptions and feelings um, at that stage. Where they were definitely something uh, that I put into the film. I admire if films always have that um, sort of basically utilize resources as they're there. I mean, mm. just as in drop things so long as they're necessary to the story. That they like the dogma 95 boys but not to that extreme extent and i got like did you select did you select this project from a range because this is one you could do this is one that it, like because i i've i've read about your funding model which sounds fantastic and um it this was a story that could be facilitated without a massive amount of resources uh yeah that was definitely part of it i mean i do have i have a lot of ideas i have a lot of different kinds of films that i would like mm. to make some of them that I could make for cheaper, some of them that I could make, I would probably need tens of millions of euro to, mm. um, to achieve. So uh, I was thinking partly of something that I could make with where the, it's like the city and the people of the city are our main resource yeah. that, we're, that we're drawing on. Um, but in some ways, it was also very ambitious for the budget that we had, which was mm. just a very tight micro budget, and thirty thousand was it? Uh, production was twenty five thousand. That was what we crowdfunded, and mm. then we got fifteen thousand from the film board for completion funding cool. for the last stages of post production. Um, so, for what we were trying to do, I mean, the kind of the received wisdom often is if you're working on that kind of budget, you know, make it about three characters in one location. Or something like that, which is, you know, you see that a lot with yeah. uh, low-budget films. And this was a project that had uh, a large principal cast, a lot of speaking characters, uh, six big crowd scenes, 
Uh, we were shooting in different locations every day. There was a lot of moving around. So all things that are generally inadvised on such a um, small budget. So I think, you know, that was very tight and a real challenge to achieve that um, with those mm. resources. So it wasn't a case of the budget for perfectly fitting what yeah. we were trying to do. But I think I also was wanting to make this as my first film because it was really drawing a lot on my own experiences growing up in Dublin. And I consider it kind of summing up a stage in my life and the kind of life of a lot of people of uh, my generation. Breaking down in scenes in the film. Uh, first of all, uh, on a personal note, I hate nightclubs. I think you captured exactly what I hate about them perfectly in the film. Uh, because oh, for me, nightlife is a thing that is just so often inadequately captured on film. I think there's so many scenes in nightclubs, pubs, etc. And I want to talk about your pub scenes as well. That you're just like, no, rubbish, that, that's not it at all. Um, was that a stickler for you to make that, that nightclub feel like that? Because whether, I, I don't know, do you love nightclubs or hate them, but that for me captured the feeling of wandering around a nightclub. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, I mean, in general, I think like the film is very much about this character's relationship with the different spaces in the city. And I, yeah. I thought of uh, the sort of structure of the film is um, leading you through this character through sort of all the different spaces that the city has on offer for people this age. So all of the different social, urban, natural environments. So you have, you know, going to an old man's pub with a gang of mm. friends, you have the sort of nightclub scene, the sort of indie student. A lot of scene on uh, bicycles, transitional uh, through places, which yeah. you know, I, I found very pleasant myself now. So, for like a lot of, um, I, with all of these spaces, I really wanted to just capture the feeling and, and the, uh, the structure of them very uh, particularly to make you feel like what that experience is like and sort of how this character relates to it and like what is kind of what is possible for him in this space or or this space so with the nightclubs I definitely wanted to yeah capture that feeling of it's like there's a certain kind of socializing mm. that happens in those spaces and there's certain kinds of socializing that just don't happen yeah can't happen um and uh so, so yeah, I was trying to get that right. And then there's like more particular stylistic things that I was quite keen on. Like I hate it in films where you have a nightclub scene and the characters are like shouting, mm. but the music is like real quiet yeah. in the background, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was like intent from the beginning, even, you know, I wrote it into the into my like original treatment from it. That's that, my biggest stickler with nightclub scenes. We you nailed yeah. it right there, yeah. Um, so I feel, um, you know, when you have characters talking in a nightclub, I want you to feel that they're struggling to make themselves mm. heard. I feel the audience should have to strain to hear Exactly, mm. exactly, yeah. Um, so, uh, and that's hard, you know, it, it is like technically hard to achieve. Oh, it is, yeah. Because you can't shoot the scene with the music playing. Absolutely so the actors not. have to like pretend and oftentimes you're reminding them, you know. Was that scene fun to shoot on that account, just walking around with the quietness, but the visual says loud. I, I was thinking about that while I was watching it. 
Um, yeah, well, there's a few scenes. I mean, if you know, if the main characters aren't speaking, you can yeah. just let the actor, you know, the extras and the actors just, you know, um, yap away. Uh, but it is, it's hard, I guess, because I like things to feel as real as possible mm. for the actors. So those kind of artificial elements are tough. But so, you know, pushing the actors to speak as loud as they really would be. And then a lot of it comes down to the sound mixing. And we did a professional uh, yeah, sound mix on, my on next it. question, actually. And um, to be honest, there was, a, there was a few moments where our, our sound mixer was kind of looking at me like I was crazy because I kept saying, you know, no, put, make the music louder. I want to mm. like, I want it to be a bit tougher to hear what they're And on saying. the subject of sound mixing, the pub scene, the dialogue is very fitfully constantly overlapping. Now, was that done, it was hardly done, like, was that, was that a difficult sound mix, mapping all of that over each other? Because the lads are, as lads in a pub, constantly talking over one another, and there's, I, there was two or three conversations to keep up on, which mm. I, I quite enjoyed about it again. Was that, was that done live or was that a sound mix? And was it a difficult sound mix, if so? Um, I suppose it's a mix. And yeah, again, that's something, I mean, in general, I like the feeling of having more than one thing going on at once. And you as a viewer have to kind of make your own choices and filter things out so that if you were to watch the film again, you're going to notice different things or you're, you know, you might, your perceptions might lead you in a different direction through the scenes and I suppose I'd be a bit influenced by Robert Altman in that respect and because he's kind of the master of overlapping multiple conversations yeah and he usually goes to the extent of every actor in the scene is individually mic'd, mic'd at the, yeah and then he's got a few boom operators and there's someone like live kind of mixing all of that and you pretty much have to give in to the fact that you're missing some of it yeah uh, yeah, that's the thing I love about, about Altman and um, Mrs. Miller in particular. So, I mean, we didn't have the kind of resources that he has to create that, but generally for those kind of scenes, so say the scene of the four lads in the pub, uh, each actor is individually mic'd, and then we had, I think, for some scenes we definitely had two boom operators. Um, I can't remember for that scene exactly. We probably had two boom operators. So you're talking about, like, at least four, sometimes six tracks of audio that are being recorded. And so you really need that kind of leeway in post-production so that you can guide things a bit. Um, you know, you can arrange the voices spatially in terms of the stereo mix and then also just like emphasizing certain conversations at certain moments um, just to guide your ear a bit because it was a challenge, say, when we were doing test screenings of the film and we didn't have that mix. So you're just hearing all of those tracks at once and it's like chaos, you know, your ear can't mm. fix it out. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it took a while, it definitely took a while to like get that right, but that was something that I was really uh, intent to do from the beginning. And fair play, that's one of the, it, it, for me, that, that, was, uh, that was my favourite scene of the film just because I, I was really enjoying the multiple conversations and it, it felt like a pub in which I feel and obviously in your, this conversation was something you valued in it now there's long periods of no dialogue in the film for the length of it um, and I was wondering was there a like a, was there a, a particular visual tone you were going for in, like in parts for instance where he's sitting eating the roll um, and uh, the fella's asking him for money 
and then it, it gives you a, a good long shot of this woman giving out leaflets and then another shot of this uh, uh, an African guy on a mobile phone mm. by, by a bin now is there a tone you were going for in that in sequencing those together because those are very specific shots mm. I mean we, we know what we're looking at um, I suppose I wanted uh, with all of the scenes of the film I was trying to get this kind of balance and sort of back and forth between the main character's story and his concerns and the wider world around him so I didn't see the film just as like one man's story that we're kind of following him and his world and his concerns but the film is really exploring this tension between his world and the wider world around him you know he has his problems he has his desires but then there's this bigger world around him that isn't necessarily concerned or interested in what he wants or what yeah. he's um, feeling. And he's also sort of more or less like sensitive or aware of that world in different scenes. I was thinking partially of uh, the experience you have coming back after being away where, say, if you're walking the same way to work every day, you start to filter out most of what you see, you know, because you know it so well. It's just mm. you're going where you're going. And, but if you were to, like, go away for a year and come back and walk that same route, mm. you're going to notice so many more details, you know. You're going to see a building that you never knew was there. You're going to no notice um, a little details or on the road that you had never noticed. You're basically more open because you've been estranged from those surroundings. So... So I was thinking of it in those, in those terms as well, that he's noticing these, these details of the spaces. Um, and then, so in a space like that scene, which was shot in Temple Bar Square, I was just looking for, for those details that would sort of give you a feel of that space and give you a sense of these other worlds which are essentially considering the, the, the location it could have been a, com a completely random process essentially because when you're sitting down in, in a bustling busy space like that who knows who you're going to fixate your attention on and we did I think there's probably like three or four other shots of other people mm. in the square that um, we got as well mm. that I decided not to use so we were definitely giving ourselves options and it was being open to what the space is offering us on the day and seeing. So, you know, with th those two examples, those people, um, we, you know, asked them if they mind, minded yeah. us filming them and putting them, <laughs> putting a big close-up of them in the film. Um, but they were just there on the day doing yeah. their jobs um, and we decided to feature them Cool. in that way. Um. The dialogue, uh, uh, a lot of the time, um, seems uh, improvised and run along. It reminded me kind of like Shane Meadows a little bit. Um, and I'm just wondering, for, well, first of all, was it? And second of all, what kind of audition process do you go by to get actors for that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, like, it seems like you had the structure of the film nailed, but to get that sort of uh, just real natural dialogue out of, especially the, when, when he's hanging around with his friends, I mean, was it improvised? Like, 
was it slightly improvised? Uh, it was... Yes, yes and no. Yeah. It was it, to an extent, and it kind of varies scene to scene. But um, the process was basically, I had a 30-page treatment, sort of detailing each scene, but without most of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went into pre-production just with that treatment. And then I cast the film. I did two weeks of rehearsal with the actors where I improvised scenes with them based on the premise of the treatment. Most of the actors never saw mm. the treatment. I would just tell them, this is your character. This is the situation. Let's see what you're going to do. And kind then Mike Lee. Yeah, it is probably closest to Mike Lee's process, yeah. except he has six months with actors. Well, yeah. And I had two weeks. <laughs> so like, Mike Lee and fast forward. And then, so we would improvise the scenes. That night, I would write a version of the scene and come in the next day and try it out. And had you always planned to do out. the film that way? Um, for leading up to the production, that was definitely how I wanted to do it. I had written a full version of the script originally, mm-hmm. like six or seven years ago when I first started, but that was kind of before when I was still in film school and I didn't really know how I liked to work yet. But I spent three years doing shorts after graduating um, from college. And that's how I really developed the way that I like to work and like to collaborate with actors to get what I thought were the best results and also the, just the most rewarding process. So, so yeah, I knew that that was how um, I wanted to approach it. And then, um, so by the time we were filming, I had written a full script. That was the basis for what we were doing. Most of the actors just saw their scenes from the script. They weren't kind of focused on the Did you find the, the process whole. fruitful to your goal? Yes. Would you do it again? I would. I think it, re- it depends on the project. Like I'm working on something yeah. now where um, a lot of the characters have very specific, uh, very specific kind of backgrounds and knowledges mm. where I feel I really need to put that on the page and give yeah. the actors more to work with. Um, in this case, a lot of a lot of the characters were quite close to the people playing them, at least in terms of the world and the general experience. I imagine considering this story that it would lend itself very well to the organic process. Like yeah, that. people could really bring a lot of themselves yeah. um, to it. So, uh, and it's great that you have experience working in that method before. Uh, you know as well under your belt, and you know you can do it. Yeah, and that was one of the other things. I mean, like say when it came to funding. Mm. I knew it was really slim chances of getting, um, say, Irish Film Board funding for this straight off the bat Mm. to kind of, for them to trust me as like someone who hadn't made a feature that I could take 30 pages and turn it into a 80 minute film. Um, I knew that I would probably just have to kind of go out and get it done to prove that I know what I'm doing with this approach. and so when it came to the shoot, we had this script, um, but there was a certain flexibility of actors kind of bringing other things to, uh, to the shot and to the moment as we were filming, and a certain looseness. Like, I wanted to create an atmosphere where it was not like people are going to be punished for getting a line wrong. 
um, that you know they're focused on being present in the scene and interacting with the other people. And if somebody makes a mistake or something, you know, somebody walks by and yeah. interferes with the scene, you know, you have to be prepared to deal with that. I think like, you know, one of the worst things that can happen is if something goes wrong and like the actors just stop, like, oh, something's gone wrong. Yeah, we can't, yeah. you know, start again. Yeah, yeah. or, you know, someone drops something and they're not supposed to drop it and they're like, oh, better start again. But if they... I, I find uh, that to be, generally speaking, I'm not going to... I won't use the word fallacy, but it's it's down to nearly inexperience. Um, with any of the, my experience working with actors, the, the lads I know who've been at it a few more years will just keep vamping. Just, yeah. Just keep yeah, ju- and um, and you can come up with some great stuff ju- with just that happening. Mm. Um, now I'm gonna have to mosey along shortly enough, but I have to ask the big obvious question at the end of it. Uh, have you anything in your pipeline next that you're free to speak about have you anything that you're working on at the moment that we can uh yeah i am uh writing a script about two irish brothers set in new york and that we've got some development funding for from uh, the irish film board and um there's a few other things you know various stages of development and all that um and projects that are quite different to this you're going to take some time off first uh no (laughs) <laughs> no, not really. I mean, you know, it's already been a while since I've shot this. And oh, I've noticed, fair enough, yeah. Um, I mean, I've noticed, you know, you look at a director's filmography and mm. there's like a four-year gap between films yeah. and you think, what the fuck were they doing? You know? <laughs> and now I'm realizing if like, if everything goes exactly to plan as you hope, there can still be like a three-year gap yeah. between things. So I feel like there isn't really a time to rest on your laurels yeah gotta keep at it oh well sure why would you bother and i hope you do keep at it because i'm looking forward to you whatever you do next uh you're at the ifi for the rest of the week um yeah so the film's playing at the irish film institute from november 7th for at least a week yeah perhaps more we'll see hopefully and um yeah you can find out more info about it uh on my website donalforman.com or the film's website outofherefilm.com and you heard it here first at filmireland.com or Film Ireland on SoundCloud wherever you are I don't mind Uh, Donald thanks a million for coming in you've been great cheers thank you